All right. Well, good morning again and happy Easter to you. So glad you guys have joined us today. Um, I remember as a kid being in a church, we were in a little bit more traditional church than Ignite, but I can remember kind of one of the rituals and one of the things that I came to expect on Easter Sundays is that the pastor would get up at some point and he would say, good morning, he'd say, Christ is risen. And then everybody in the congregation would sort of say, He's risen indeed. You guys are good. So let's try this one more time. This is like a, the participatory part of the message, okay? So, so like I'll say, Christ is risen. And you say, yes. he's risen indeed, right? He's risen indeed. And I, it's, it's crazy, but that's sort of a worldwide thing. I can remember going to Russia. I served there and lived there for um, about 18 months between a couple of different years. And uh, I can remember going into churches on Easter and they say the same thing, except they say, Jesus was Christ. And then they say, Jesus is risen, he's risen indeed, you know, kind of thing. It's, it's a worldwide thing. Today, probably hundreds of millions of people around the world will greet each other that way. They will say, he is risen, he is risen indeed. And my question that I'm just going to ask and just ponder for just a second is why? Why would they say that? What's, what's the big deal? give you another story. I remember early uh, reading about an incident early in the 1920s uh, where an atheist communist leader uh, called Nikolai Bukharin was sent from Moscow to Kiev to address an anti-God rally. And for an hour, he just destroyed Christianity, sort of the tenets of the Christian faith. He just pounded them again and again and again and again and again. His his goal was to leave no shred of of, uh, evidence, no, no possibility that this whole whole Jesus thing, that this whole Christianity thing could possibly be true. After a full hour of this, when it seemed like nothing was left, he opened it up for questions and thought, well, I'll finish him off with questions. And when a Russian Orthodox priest uh, raised his hand and asked if he could address the crowd, and he said, well, of course. And so he came up, he stood up, and he said three words. He said, Christ is risen. Everybody in the entire audience stands to their feet and says, he is risen indeed. With that, he sat down, <laughs> right? End of conversation. Again, my question is, why? I mean, what's the big deal, right? What, it's not that big a deal, is it? <laughs> One more. Uh, there's a little boy named Philip that I read a, story, a true story about. Uh, he was born with Down syndrome, uh, had all kinds of different issues, physical and, and, uh, and otherwise. But he was a part of a third grade Sunday school class. And uh, as you might imagine, uh, kids that age can sometimes be a little bit mean or not real sensitive about uh, the special needs of, of somebody like Philip. And so he got teased and harassed, even though they had a really good teacher who was teaching the kids to care about and to uh, engage uh, with this young man, uh, Philip. But still, they poked and they prodded and they called names sometimes. And uh, they were kind of mean. Well, one particular day, the week after Easter, the Sunday school teacher comes in and she brings uh, a bunch of these, um, like, it used to be pantyhose egg containers. You know what I'm talking about? Like legs or something? I don't know what they are. But like pantyhose egg containers. And she gives one to each of the kids uh, in the room and she says, okay, I've got, it. I've got a challenge for you today. I'm going to let you go outside for just a few minutes and you are to, to, to capture something in here or put something in here that is to remind you and kind of give us a, a snapshot of the new life of spring. 
This is going to be kind of an object lesson for the day. And so the kids, as you can imagine, they're third graders. I mean, you can imagine they set them loose outside and these kids run around, you know, like all over the place for uh, five or 10 minutes. And finally she corrals them and brings them back in and she sits all the kids down around her. And one by one, she starts opening up these big eggs and they're revealing things like a butterfly and oh, they're like, oh, all the kids are ooing and eyeing or they're, they're, you know, maybe a new leaf or a little flower or something like that. And finally, they get to Philip's egg, and they open it up, and there's nothing in there. And she's like, what? And some of the kids start, of course, saying, uh, you know, mean comments. That's stupid. How come he didn't have to do it? You know, all this kind of stuff. And, um, and Philip, and she was about to set it aside when all of a sudden Philip chimes in and says, actually, that's mine. And uh, again, somebody, one of the kids jumps in and says, Philip, you don't ever do things right. There's nothing there. And Philip chimes back in and says, I did so do it. Philip insisted, I did do it. He says, it's empty, just like Jesus' tomb was empty. The room goes quiet. Fast forward about a year, and uh, Philip had gotten sick uh, from an infection that most kids would shrug off, and he ended up dying. And uh, his parents uh, were going, at the end of the service, they were going up. They opened the casket one final time to say their goodbyes. They looked, and there inside the casket were six eggs, one from every kid in the class, reminding them that there's nothing there, that death has been defeated, that Jesus is alive. Friends, we gather here today to celebrate and to remember that Jesus is no longer in the grave that death could not hold him, that he has conquered sin, that he has conquered death, and he came bursting forth out of the tomb some 2,000 years ago. And if Jesus has risen, if he's alive, if the resurrection is actually true, and I'll just parenthetically say, and there's a lot of evidence that points to the fact that it is, that, that this is real, that this is legit. But if that kind of stuff is true, then it changes everything. It solidifies the the amazing claims of Jesus. It puts hope and certainty into his promises and into his words. Easter changes everything. If he is risen, then there is hope for us too, isn't there? Even in the face of death, even when things seem hopeless, even when our situations seem impossible, even in those times, there is hope because Jesus is alive. I want you to look at a few verses with me. that that kind of highlight this truth. This is John 14. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. And he says this, this is before his death, before his resurrection. He says this, before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. And listen to this, because I live, he says, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize, you will know to the core of your being that I am in the father and that you are in me and that I am in you. Jesus says, pay attention. In a little while, I'm going to go away, right? I'm going to be gone. He's like, but you're going to know me and you're going to see me. And because I'm alive, I will bring you to life. Because I'm alive, there is hope for you. There is new life available for you. Peter, uh, the apostle Peter puts it this way. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. He says there's new life and there is a new and living hope available because Jesus is alive. There is life and hope in spades for you and me. Ephesians 1, 18 through 20. 
Paul puts it this way. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be opened or enlightened in order that you can know this hope that you have to which you have been called, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in, his, in the heavenly realms. And again, he's saying there is hope and there is power for you and me that's available to us because Jesus is alive. The resurrection, friends, changes everything. It has emboldened and empowered Christ followers for the last 2,000 years. It has brought hope when people had none. It changes everything. Even the early church, those first Christians in the first century, man, they turned the world upside down and actually, right, they turned the world maybe right side up because they were filled with this hope. They were emboldened by this truth that Jesus was alive, that not even death could hold him down. What what could defeat him? What could conquer him? What could shut, shut down his mission or his power or his love or his purposes for them? It's what transformed people like Peter, who, as we talked about on Good Friday, was intimidated and kind of shut down by a little servant girl. It's what emboldened and transformed him to all of a sudden be a man that stands up in the face of opposition and boldly proclaims the truth about Christ on the day of Pentecost and sees 3,000 people come to know Jesus that day. How do you explain that otherwise, right? He had been convinced that Jesus was alive and it changed everything for him. It's what, it's what changed and transformed the, uh, the disciple known as Doubting Thomas, right? He was primarily known for his, hence the name, right? Hence the nickname, Doubting Thomas, who is all timid, who always skeptical, always kind of, I'm not so sure about this stuff. It's what transformed him to become a great church planner. He planted churches across India. In fact, our neighbors uh, here in Peoria um, grew up in India. One of them went to church, a church growing up that was started by Thomas in the first century. Isn't that crazy? It's what transformed, it's, it's what changed these disciples' lives, right? They were absolutely convinced that Jesus died for their sins, but he didn't stay dead. He is the God of resurrection. He came back to life again, and that brought hope to them, and it brings hope to us too, doesn't it? I mean, how are you going to stop a Savior? How are you going to stop the mission of God like that? How are you going to stop a conquering king that they killed, but they could, but he defeated victory. He rose again victorious and, and unstoppable, unstoppable. I mean, think about the hope that comes with followers of a resurrected king like that. Think about the confidence and the boldness and the peace that came to their lives and comes to, their, to our lives as well from following a savior like, like that. Because he lives, there's life for you and there's life for me. There's peace and joy and confidence for every person on the planet. You know, I was reading through um, part of the Gospel of John this week and there was one passage which uh, I've never preached on before, certainly not for Easter, uh, but it comes from John 11. It's about an encounter that Jesus had with Lazarus and his sisters. And this, this happens actually before uh, 
the crucifixion before the resurrection. Typically, I preach on the end of Luke or something like that on, on Easter, the resurrection story. But this one has great stuff, and so I'm going to kind of weave the two together if I can. And uh, it, again, it's a story about Jesus' uh, interaction with Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. Now, the Bible records a bunch of uh, different interactions between them. They're close. Jesus cares about them and, uh, and knew them well. Well, something happens in the story, and Lazarus has gotten sick. I mean, real sick, as in, like, could die kind of sick. And his sisters, uh, Mary and Martha, they have been around Jesus again. They have seen his healing power. They know, uh, they know firsthand that he is able to heal, that he is able to do the miraculous. And so they send somebody to Jesus and says, to, to tell him, Jesus, the one you love, right? This, this brother of ours, Lazarus, the one you love is sick. And uh, would, you come to, would you come to us immediately? Would you come real quick? Would you come and heal him so that he doesn't die? And again, Jesus uh, loves this guy. He's for this guy. But he gets held up for a couple of days until uh, he gets word and finds out that Lazarus has actually died. So we're going to kind of pick up the story there. Uh, when, when he finally arrives, he's told that Lazarus has already been in the tomb for four days. What do you suppose that's like? Not good in that day and age. Not really great embalming techniques. I mean, it would be pretty nasty. He's been in there four days. For four days, Mary and Martha have been mourning and weeping and saying goodbye to their brother. They're sobbing. There's wailing. It's a gut-wrenching scene that Jesus walks into. And when, when Martha hears that Jesus has arrived, she immediately goes out to meet with him. And this is their interaction. Oh, hello. <laughs> There's all my slides. So hope you got them. If you, if you got all that right now, you can go ahead. You know, <laughs> you're done for the day. <laughs> okay, anyway. Uh, John 11, if you got your Bibles, you can... Uh, okay, we're kind of in the wrong one, but... Uh, if you've got your Bibles, you can open them up to John 11 or the Ignite Church app. You can open up. There's notes and stuff in there. Starting with verse 21, I'll read it for you here. It says this. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. As in, if you had been here, if you'd have come right away, you could have healed. You could have stopped this horrible thing from happening. You could have saved my brother. You could have spared his life. But go ahead and take your time, right? I mean, that kind, of, that kind of thing. If you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But then she says this. It's kind of her faith statement. But, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know that he'll rise in the resurrection at the last days. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Let's jump ahead to verse 38. It says there's some interaction back and forth. And then it says this, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone that's laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, Jesus said. But Lord, said Martha, uh, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor. Our, the joke around our home this week, by the way, has been the King James translates that, uh, he stinketh. <laughs> so so uh, that's been the joke. Yes, there's a bad o odor, right? He stinketh, Lord, uh, for he has been in there for four days. And then Jesus said, uh, did I not tell you that if you believe you would see the glory of God and so they took away the stone and then Jesus looked up and said father I thank you that you have heard me 
I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And what happened? The dead man walked out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. I mean, can you imagine the scene? I mean, that's one of those times that I'm like, if I had a time machine, I'd be there. Like, wouldn't that be cool? Like, amazing. Lazarus, come forth. (laughs) An amazing kind of picture. And yet the words that really struck me and have been running through my head all week are are the words that he says in the passage before, in that part before that, where he he says to those around him, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am resurrection. Think about that statement for a second. I mean, he's not saying I do resurrections. That's something I do. He's not saying, I do the work of bringing dead things back to life. That's not what he says. He says, I am. This is who I am. I am resurrection. The resurrection is not just an event in human history. It's a person. It's not just what, it, what he does. It's who he is. Dead things don't stay dead when Jesus walks into the room because he is resurrection. So Jesus, again, think about this, the one who is the resurrection, he walks up to the tomb where Lazarus has already been dead for four days and he stinketh, right? People are weeping. There's no hope. It's game over. But Jesus says, take the stone away. And he says in a loud voice, come out. And what happens? Resurrection happens, right? Jesus brings the dead man back to life and he walks out. Friends, you never know what's going to happen when Jesus, the resurrection, walks into the room. It's who he is and it's what he does. He brings dead things back to life. I've seen it happen over and over and over again, probably hundreds of times in my lifetime. I've seen God bring dead things back to life. I've seen uh, Jesus bust into marriages that are dead, that seem hopeless where the only words that get talked about are divorce. And I've seen Jesus bust in and breathe new life back into that marriage and bring hope and restoration and reconciliation where there seemed to be none. I've seen people, real people, right, that have bad medical conditions where the doctor and those around them are saying, they're only saying the word, you're gonna die, you're gonna die. There's no hope, there's no hope. I've seen God heal people and breathe new life into them again and bring life where there was only death. I've seen it happen in people's souls where they're addicted or there's some pattern or some junk going on and they cannot get out on their own. They keep trying and trying and trying and finally they're just hopeless and they just collapse and they cry out to God. They cry out to Jesus to come and resurrect them and he does and he sets them free. He does a work in their life. I've seen it happen again and again. I've seen God resurrect relationships between parents and kids. It seems like there's no hope. I was thinking this week about a time even. I remember uh, we had a, somebody in our church uh, that had a whole, like the worst kind of thing you can imagine as a parent, one of them anyway, uh, where they were pulling into their garage and they did everything right. They checked around before they came in. They, they did all this kind of stuff. They honked the horn to make sure everybody was gone. They pulled in the garage, and when you came in, it was, you're kind of blind. They pulled in, and they ran over one of their kids, a toddler, 
is horrible, stopped breathing. They called the ambulance, and immediately they started praying. And they called and got a whole bunch of people praying. And God resurrected them to the, to the jaw-dropping astonishment of the paramedics that were there. The kid breathed again. In fact, by the time he went to the ER, he was fine. To the point where, like, they didn't know how to explain it. They didn't know what happened. Now, again, you could say, oh, coincidence, coincidence, coincidence. But you know what? You see this again and again and again and again and again, and you come to the conclusion, you know what? I think it's true. I think Jesus really is the resurrection. I think he really does bring about resurrection in the lives and in the relationships and in the souls of his followers, of, the, of people that he comes in contact with. He brings about transformation. He brings hope and new life again and again and again. You never know what's going to happen when Jesus, the resurrection, walks into the room. It's who he is. It's what he does. He brings dead things back to life. Suddenly there is hope where there was none before. Suddenly there's life where there was none before. Suddenly there's peace and joy. I mean, resurrection, it changes everything. Now, we could talk about um, in terms of benefits for us or how does that resurrection, the resurrection of Christ, how does that make a difference in our lives? How does it make a difference that Jesus is the resurrection to us? And we could talk about all different kinds of things. In fact, we could spend, you know, the rest of the year probably (laughs) talking about that. And it would be awesome. I was uh, really struck by three kind of things that I want us to look at, three real basic kind of pieces. of ways the resurrection uh, changes everything, ways that the resurrection brings life to us again. And that we're going to talk about them in the negative, but we'll learn about them in the positive, if that makes sense. So there's sort of three things that Jesus' resurrection destroyed in a good way, <laughs> okay? So you with me on this? Stick with me, it'll be fun. So the first one, the first one that I'm going to talk about, I was just struck by the language because these all have Bible verses, verses in Scripture that talk about Jesus' resurrection destroying these things. And they're all like, wow, like that's significant. And so I was taking note of those this week. First one is this. He destroyed sin, right? Three, his resurrection destroyed sin. A fellow pastor, a number of years ago, I remember, received a letter uh, from a young woman that says, I'm 31 years old. I'm divorced, though I fought it bitterly. I feel badly. I have no hope for my future. Often I go home and cry, but there's nobody there to hold me or comfort me when I do. Nobody cares. Nothing changes, and I just continue to fail again and again and again. I'm stressed out emotionally, and I feel that I'm on the verge of a collapse. Something is very wrong in my soul, but I feel so hurt and so embittered that I can scarcely react or even relate to anybody else. I feel as if I'm going to live, have to live my entire life in the penalty box. Now, the thing is, I have to say, I hear that same kind of cry from people's souls. I hear it all the time. I remember talking to a woman a few years ago that was sobbing and telling me about her story. And she said, you know what? I'm just not sure that God or anyone else for that matter could ever forgive me for the things that I've done. I think many, many of us go through life like this. We get stuck in the past in one way or another. We can't find freedom for the present or the future. It could be guilt or regret that we live with and it's tied us down and we can't seem to get over it. 
It could be some sort of addiction, an ongoing sin or a habit or something. It could be shame or whatever. And for whatever reason, we just can't step out of the shadows. We can't just step into the future because we feel like this thing is tied to us and it's pulling us down and we have to drag it through life like, like a stone or something behind us. And people live this way and can't get free. Sometimes we just give in to it. And we just were like, I guess this is just the way I'm going to have to live the rest of my life. I mean, sometimes even it's a generational sort of pattern. You'd be like, well, I don't know. My, my dad was that way. My granddad was that way. I'm that way. And there's nothing I can do about it. Right? It's just, you know, could be whatever. And we just feel weighted down and like there's no way we could ever get free. And friends, I don't want to oversimplify this, but can I just say, from a biblical perspective, it's just not true. I mean, part of the good news of Jesus' resurrection is that you and I can find freedom, that we can find forgiveness from our past, that Christ, the resurrection, can come in and cut the cords of the past and set us free. The stuff that plagues us and haunts us from our past where there's shame and regret and remorse and we're embarrassed and whatever else, he can snip that and completely forgive it. The patterns that hold us captive, he can set us free and transform us and renew us and empower us and teach us to live a new life. Anytime the resurrection walks into the room, there's freedom, there's life, and there's hope. Colossians 2, 13 through 15 says this, says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charges of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away. In fact, another, uh, in fact, there's six different translations. This says, he, instead of de- taking it away, it says, he's destroyed it, right? He's annihilated it by nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Again, Colossians 2, right, says he forgave all of our sins. What do you think all means in the original Greek? All, All, right? It means all of our sins. How many of our sins do you think that is? All. Say it with me. Say all. All. You suppose, but but he doesn't know about this really, really, really bad stuff in my closet. He doesn't know about the skeletons in my closet. Suppose that's included in all? Absolutely. He says Christ, through his resurrection, he has put an end to to sin. He has destroyed it. He has paid the price for it so it can be completely forgiven. So that all of our sin can be forgiven. Past, present, future, our sin can be forgiven and we can be free. He paid the price for my sin and for yours, for the sins of all of humanity by taking it on himself on the cross and by dying for them so that you and I don't have to. And then he rose again, victorious over that sin and offers to forgive completely. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he'll remove your sins from you. I will completely forgive you, Jesus says. I want to give you a fresh start. I want to give you the ability to start again. 
getting a new life, freedom from the past, freedom to start again. Jesus destroyed sin and set us free. The second thing, and we've kind of already hit on this, but he destroyed death through his resurrection. Now, I have to say, being a pastor, I get to be around people sometimes that are going, that are on this journey that sometimes uh, have a terminal illness or whatever else, and I'll have to sit with them and pray with them, I'll talk with them, whatever, as uh, they are looking at their own mortality. And I have to say, this is one of those issues that we don't really like to talk about. We don't like to ever really consider. And I think part of the reason why is because when it comes down to it, we're a little bit afraid. We've never died before, right? We don't really, we don't really know what's, what's all involved with that. We're not 100% sure about what's, what's happening on the other side. And so we tend to avoid stuff like that. We tend to not want to have those conversations for as long as we can until something forces the conversation on us. And then all of a sudden, we're, we've got all kinds of questions. We're all kinds of uneasy about that, right? We're like, oh my gosh, what is going on? I'm kind of freaking out about this because we're not 100% sure about what, what that means for us. Is there a heaven? If so, am I in? Am I going? Can I know that for sure? Am I okay? Am I living my life the way I'm supposed to? We have all kinds of questions and it makes us uneasy. I think if we're really honest, all of us have some similar fears. We're sort of scared to death of death in some ways. We're frightened about what lies ahead. We need to know uh, what's going to happen after we die. But I have to say, friends, part of the good news of Easter is that you you and I don't have to be afraid of death. Jesus proved it. He is the resurrection. He has conquered death. He has been to the other side and comes back and now promises and says, you know what? There is life for you if you will come and put your trust in me. I read a little meme or something this morning I thought was great that said, uh, that said, Jesus didn't die so that he could rise again. He died so that we can rise again, right? He's always lived. He's always been alive, right? That's, that's, he's the eternal one. He did it for us so that you and I can have the hope and the promise and the peace that says, you know what? One minute after I die, if I, if I belong to Jesus, one minute after I die, I will be more alive than I have ever been. Right? I will be with Jesus, who is the resurrection. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even if he dies. He will resurrect our souls and we will be with him forever. At the real resurrection, we get new bodies. It's a whole deal, right? Ones that will last forever. It's an amazing deal. Hebrews 2, 14, 15 puts it this way. It says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his deathlessness, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that's the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. 2 Timothy 1, 9 and 10 says this, He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace, because that's just the kind of God he is. This grace was given to us in Christ before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through his gospel. Again, he came to set us free from the fear of death. Anyone who comes uh, and puts their trust in him need not fear death. The tomb is empty. He faced death on our behalf so that when we die, we will face life. He, offered it, he offers eternal life to all of us free of charge if we'll receive it. Romans 6 puts it this way, right? It says, uh, the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. 
That's the wages of what our actions and attitudes are just sin, sinful and rebellious bent deserve. It says, but the gift of God, the gift given to us through Christ is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a gift that's made available to you and to me because he lives, because he has died for our sins and risen again. He destroyed death, and now life is available free of charge to anyone who will receive it. The third thing I just want to hit real quick that he destroyed through his resurrection is it, and I couldn't find a good word for it, so I said he destroyed the division between us and God and even uh, us and one another. He kind of leveled the playing field, so to speak. Listen to this from Ephesians 2, 12 through 18. says this, Remember that at the time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel and you were foreigners. You were outsiders to the covenants and to the promise without hope and without God in this world. That's who you used to be. He says, but now because of Christ, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away from God have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body, stick with me here, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those who were far away, and he came to preach peace to those who were near. For through him, through Christ, we both have access to God, to the Father, by one spirit. Now, I want you to think about this with me for just a second. Let me just kind of unpack that a little bit. But the one who has destroyed death, the one who has conquered sin, the one who is resurrection, has removed the barrier that kept you and me at a distance from God. And as a result, you and I now have direct access to the living God. You don't need a priest. You don't need somebody godlier than you. You you can go directly to him. You can pray directly to him. You can come to know him. In fact, he wants to come and live inside of you. You and I have direct access to a relationship with the living God. Now, that's different. What he's referring to right? is it didn't used to be that way. It didn't used to be. Back in, in Old Testament days, right, where would Gentiles, how many of us are Gentiles, by the way, non-Jews? right? That's pretty much all of us. How many of, how, you know, you would not be allowed close. Gentiles were not allowed close to worship. You were kind of kept on the outside looking in. In fact, even Jewish women in that day were a little bit on the outside looking in. They could come a little bit closer than the Gentiles, but they were still at a distance from God. Even Jewish men, to some degree, they were a little bit closer, but they were still sort of held at a distance from God. The only people that were allowed close were priests. And actually, only the high priest was allowed into the presence of God, and that but once a year. Isn't that crazy? There was, there was distance that existed between us and God. And what they're saying, what this passage is talking about is, through Christ, that distance has been annihilated. You remember the story of uh, when Jesus died, it says the, the, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. It was the dividing wall, the thing that kept us from God. It's been opened up, ripped open. So, and the, the representation of that right, is, is that you and I now have direct access to God. You can go to him and be forgiven. You can go to him and find new life. You can pray to him and he will hear your prayer. I mean, there's direct access. 
access to the living God. And if that's not enough, the God who is resurrection, the living God wants to come and live inside of you and bring his resurrection power to bear from the inside out. Is that hopeful? Do you think that could make a difference as he is transforming you and making you new day in and day out? You think that that'll bring hope to our lives? Absolutely. You think that'll bring, that kind of power would bring comfort to us? would bring transformation. It's, it's an amazing truth that he wants you to know. He wants to resurrect you. He wants to bring resurrection to every part of your life. See, he wants to resurrect your relationships with other people. He wants to resurrect your hope. He wants to resurrect your soul, your relationship with the Father. He wants to transform you and make you new. He wants to bring you to life in ways that you can't even imagine. He wants to bring you into his family and equip you and give you supernatural gifts to be used for his plans and purposes. He wants to fill you with his purpose for your life, give you a living hope and a living joy and new life. It's an amazing deal. All of this is available to you and to me through Christ, through his death, but then solidified through his resurrection. Because he lives, there is life for you. Because he lives, there is hope for you. Because he lives, there is power available in our lives. Because he lives, we are not alone ever. But he is with us. Jesus has come. He's destroyed death. He's annihilated sin. And he's removed that division that kept us living far away. He's destroyed it all, and instead he has swung open the door to eternal life. He swung open the door to life with him, life to the full. He swung open the door to the life he's got for you. He wants to make his presence known to you. He wants to make you new and forgive you for your past and set you free. He wants to cut the cords of those things that enslave you. And he wants to walk with you into a better future. All of those things are available. He has opened the, no- the door to new and better life. He wants to resurrect you. And it's all made available. It's all possible because he came for you. And because he lived a sinless life and eventually died a horrible death on the cross, taking your sins and taking my sins, taking our rebellion, taking the sins of humanity on himself, he suffered. And he died for that penalty for our sins that we deserved. He died. He was buried He was put in a tomb. He was wrapped in grave clothes. And they put a huge stone in front of it. But just like Jesus cried out, Lazarus, come forth. Right? Three days later, Jesus burst out of the tomb, alive forevermore. He conquered death, right? He conquered sin. He removed the separation. And now there is life available for you and life available to me. Any person who believes, who puts their faith and trust in him, there is life. Let me go back to that one verse. John 11, 25 and 26. Says, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who, what's that say? The one who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives by believing in me will never die and then he asked the question he says do you believe this i'll tell you what friends that's the most important question that we get asked on easter is yet yeah, this is grace great story and ooh rah, rah resurrection power and there's hope and life and woo-hoo. 
all this good stuff is available, but it's hinged on those those statements, right? Do you believe? Do you live your life in such a way? Are you putting your faith and trust and hope in Christ? Are you clinging to him as your source of salvation? Have you opened up your heart and life? Do you believe it? Or is it just a nice story that happened a couple thousand years ago? Your answer to that question will make all the difference in the world. For those who who believe and not just up here but believe and put it into practice like like somebody that's drowning clinging to a life preserver people that cling are clinging to jesus like that to believe and have faith and hope and have cried out to him he says i am the resurrection and the life i will come to you and i will rescue you i will save you and i will breathe life into you again I don't know where you stand with God today, friends. I'm not sure uh, what he might be prompting you or saying to you or whatever. But I'll tell you, tell you what. Don't leave here today and miss the point of Easter. Don't just be like, man, good story. Good story, preacher. Right kind of thing. Don't, don't settle for knowing and miss out on the resurrection life that Jesus has for you. Before you leave today, I would urge you, would you open up your heart and life and just cry out, Jesus, I need you. Would you come and resurrect me? Would you, I need, I need what you purchased for me on the cross. I need that forgiveness and freedom from the past. I need that power for the present. I need that hope for the future. Would you come and live inside of me? Come and forgive me for the past. Come and take up residence in me and lead me from this point forward. I am yours. If you have never done that, do it today. I can remember the first time I prayed that prayer. It was almost 25 years ago. It makes me feel old, but it was a long time. It was quite a while ago. Um, and uh, man, best decision I ever made brought me to life in ways I couldn't have imagined. If you've never done that before, do it today. Maybe, maybe you're here and you're just, you've prayed that in the past, but man, for whatever reason, you're feeling weighted down again. Maybe it's sin or junk. Maybe it's the past. Who knows what it is? Maybe it's an ongoing sin that just keeps you stuck in that downward spiral. Maybe today is, a, is another opportunity where God's just inviting you and saying, would you, would you turn towards me again? Would you invite the resurrected one to come and bring that resurrection in me today? Starting next week, we're going to actually uh, start a new series that's kind of all about this. So maybe it's called Breakout. We're going to talk about the ways that, uh, that the life with Christ um, transforms us and frees us from so much of the junk of our past. So if that's you, I'd encourage you, come back next week and be a part of this series with us and be praying and inviting the resurrected one to do a work in your soul. I don't know, maybe you're going through a hard season right now and man, it, just, it just feels hopeless and hard. Maybe the, the, the giants that are before you are enormous. You're like, I don't know how I can make it. And maybe this morning you just need to be reminded that the one who says, I am the resurrection and the life, he is with you. His presence is available to those who put their faith and trust in him. He wants to come and fill you and sustain you. And you never know what's going to happen when resurrection busts in. 
Maybe today you just need to cry out for him and cling to him and put your hope in him afresh. Let's close in prayer. Father, that's our cry this morning. Lord, we just want to open up our hearts, open up our, our hands, even our lives, and we just pray, Lord Jesus, would you come? Would you forgive us for our sin, our junk? We just proclaim, God, we're guilty. I know, I know it. I can't do it on my own. I am a man, and we are men and women that are in need of rescuing. Would you come and forgive us for our sins? our past? Would you cut the cords on them? Would you separate and remove them from us as far as the east is from the west? God, we need you. We claim and we believe that you came and you died for those sins so that we could be free. So would you come and cleanse us? Would you come and make us new? And then, God, would you come and take up residence in us? We just invite you. Come, Lord Jesus. Come fill us with your spirit. Come and be our God. Come and lead us forward to live our lives with you in faith as well, to follow where you lead. We trust you for our lives, Lord. We trust you for our eternities. Come and lead. Come and fill. Come and have your way. We need you, Jesus. Lord, I pray for those that are struggling right now, that are um, just feeling hopeless or defeated. Lord, would you come in your power? Would you come and breathe new life and new hope into them again? Would you remind them that you are the resurrection and that you want to come and do life with them? That you are working and you will bring about resurrection in one way or another. That you will bring resurrection in them while they wait, while they walk. And that you'll bring resurrection in all of us and put our faith and trust in you one day when we die. I don't know, would you sustain and encourage and empower the Anything can happen when you are a part. Bolster our faith. Thank God for those of us as well that are struggling with sin or patterns or junk, just the, the downward spiral, would you set us free? alive, that you are the conquering king, that you are the eternal one, the saving one. 